Again, if you're visiting with us, welcome. We're happy to have you. If you're wondering why there are uh, so many empty seats, uh, every Memorial Day weekend, about two or three hundred of our members go off to family camp at Rock Springs near Junction City, and that's where they are uh, swimming around and kayaking on the football field or whatever it is out there. <laughs> but anyway, we wish them well. But Every uh, uh, Sunday uh, for the past 10 years, we've had Brother Jimmy Keyes uh, with us to teach our class and speak to us. And also, of course, he'll be back this evening at 6 o'clock. And if you don't know Jimmy, uh, in 1980, when my family and I moved to Kansas, uh, Jimmy was one of the very first uh, people uh, that I had the opportunity to meet with. And we've eaten with he and his sweet wife, Janet. Uh, before, uh, and Jimmy was at that time preaching at the Walnut and Campbell Street Church uh, in Hutchinson. Then he moved to Salina. He lives in Oklahoma City now, and it's always a pleasure, Jimmy, to have you uh, with us, uh, and so we welcome uh, Jimmy. <clears throat> yes, Janet and I remember the Mexican suppers with uh, you and <clears throat> Norma and Johnny Holmes, etc., etc. Come September, it will be three years ago that I attended a funeral of the mother of one of our members at Northwest in Oklahoma City, where we worship. It was at a denominational church, and the preacher sang a solo of a song that I had never heard before. It moved me, but as is typical, I promptly forgot it. Fast forward over two years to November of 2018. And after services on a Sunday evening, one of the elders that was also at that funeral mentioned that song, and he said, Do you remember the song that was sung at Don Woodard's mother's funeral? I said, I do. He said, I just got the words to that song. I said, Would you please send those to me? He did. The next morning, as I opened my uh, emails, there was that song. I copied it. I read it, and I thought, Oh, that ought to make a sermon. And I emailed him back. I thank you, and I think this will make a sermon. I laid that aside, but not for long. Before the morning was over, I was back reading the words and being just very moved by what I had seen. That song was when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. I do not very often sing the song or any song, for that matter, in public to just as a solo. But I have toyed with this. There is, there's a dynamic between the words and the music that just really delivers a punch. Now, those of you who know the song, and I would be really kind of curious, how many of you have heard the song when he was on the cross, I was on his mind? Uh, my wife knows the song very well. There's a few of you. Now, I don't want you to think that I'm butchering the song um, because we have sheet music to the song, two different, and they're not even the same. I listened to the song that a friend sent me by the Florida Boys, and that's different yet. And so 
if you know the words a little differently, uh, please uh, cut me a little slack here. But I'm going to try and hope that I don't mess up to sing the song. And I want you just to think about the words of the song. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. I'm not on an ego trip. I'm nothing on my own. I make mistakes, often slip, just common flesh and bone. But someday I'll prove just what I say. I'm of that special kind. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. A look of love was on his face the thorns upon his head. The blood was on his scarlet robe and stained a crimson red. Though his eyes were on the crowd that day, he looked ahead in time. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. He knew me Yet he loved me, he whose glory makes the heaven shine. So unworthy of such mercy, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Yes, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Over the years, I have probably preached 20, 30, maybe more sermons on the cross. But none of them dealing with the personal aspect of the song and of the sermon that is before us this morning. Every thoughtful person is rendered uncomfortable as he thinks sincerely of what Jesus went through, his passion, and all that he did for me. Now, the text that was read a moment ago comes from, of course, the Scripture. There's a book, and it's in my library by Max Licato, When God Whispers Your Name. And in the introduction to that, he referred to John chapter 10 and the, uh, the sermon that, or the, the uh, parable of Jesus, the good shepherd. And I want to zero in on verse 3. And when it says, he calls his own sheep by name. Yes, when he was on the cross, I, you, was on is mine. Second Timothy two nineteen will add to that, saying, "The firm foundation of God stands sure, having this seal, that God knows those who are His." I think through the Scriptures, and I remember that on various occasions, God would call people by name, Moses. Samuel, Saul, Saul, Zacchaeus. Yes, when he was on the cross, 
I was on his mind. That theme speaks many things, but I've chosen to develop the sermon around four different thoughts. First of all, the song speaks of the importance of my eternal soul. To understand what God has done for me and the love that he has, I need to go to the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus says, the very reason that he came, Luke 19.10, was to seek and save the lost. God has endowed me with a never-dying spirit. I'm going now to Matthew chapter 16. If you want to turn with me, we're going to read verses 24 through 26 of Matthew chapter 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. For what shall a man be profited if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? This speaks of the fact that my soul is worth more than all the world and all the things that are in the world. And yes, though he... When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. I have the right of refusal. I can choose to follow or I can choose to reject Jesus. Now, I remember back George Bailey. Some of you may have remember hearing George Bailey. He spoke on Herald of Truth and and various places. I was in college when Brother George Bailey had a sermon, in fact, he was preaching a gospel meeting in in Edmond, and he made a statement that I shall never, never forget. If we could have that on the screen, please. If we live as though Jesus never lived, we will die as though Jesus never died. That statement that Brother George Bailey made has lived with me over a half of a century. If we live as though Jesus never lived, we will die as though Jesus never died. The choice that I have involves eternity. I can be either saved or lost. Now, the word lost implies perhaps even an accident. But I like what I read a moment ago in the New American Standard. You'll find it in the New King James, the New International Version, that it will use the word forfeit. And that is a deliberate action. And uh, I can forfeit my soul. Now there's another passage that when taken as a block, it is really, really powerful. I'd like for you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. We're going to begin reading with verse 28. Matthew chapter 10, beginning with verse 28, and we'll go down through verse 32. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are not, are unable to kill the soul. 
I'd rather fear him who is able to destroy, keyword, destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for scent, and yet one of them will not uh, will not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Therefore, do not fear. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, I will also confess before him before my father who is in heaven. Note the word destroy, and then hold that thought, and let's go all the way over to Hebrews chapter 10. Another thought, and then we'll put those two thoughts together. I'm in Hebrews 10, verses 38 and 39. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction. King James says perdition, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Now, the word destroy and destruction do not mean annihilation, but rather a better word would be ruin. We do not want ruin. Now, scriptural proof that we will exist beyond this life, every one of us, now stay with me, please. We are going to go to the long home. Ecclesiastes 12, 7 talks about that. And we are going to exist somewhere beyond. Let's go now to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. And I want us to look at what Jesus had to say. And by the way, he is quoting from what God said to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 and in verse, uh, chapter 3 verse 6 and in verse 15. That's where we are. But I want us to read Matthew chapter 23 and I want us to look at verses 31 and uh, 32. Actually, let's see here. 20, I said 23, didn't I? I mean 22. I got it wrong. All right, 22. But beginning with the resurrection of the dead, or regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not a God of the dead, but of the living. When God spoke those words to Moses, Abraham had been dead for 300 years. And 29 years. Isaac had been dead 224 years. Jacob had been dead 198 years. They had passed this life, but Jesus here is affirming God is not a God of the dead. He is a God of the living. They were still living. Yes. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. And so, that speaks, first of all, of the importance of my eternal soul. It speaks, secondly, of the awfulness of my sin. A good condensed definition of sin is any thought, 
word, action, or lack of action that is contrary to the will of God. And I have woefully sinned on all of those fronts. Now, I try to do good. I try to be good. But Isaiah 64, verse 6 says, All my righteousness is as filthy rags. I examine my heart, and I remember that Jeremiah 17 and verse 9 says, The heart is desperately corrupt. Oh, yes, I try, but I fail. I fail drastically, and there is no self-justification or explaining away. I am a sinful man. And furthermore, it was my sins that caused Jesus to have to be on the cross in the first place. Now, with that said, the awfulness of sin is not necessarily the nature of sin, but who it is against. Let me give you an illustration. Twin boys, we'll call them Joe and Jake. And one day Joe gets so mad at his brother, he just hauls off and he just slaps him hard. That's bad. But let's say this Joe has a temper and one day he gets mad at his mama. He does the same thing to mama. That's worse. What about a police officer? Can you envision? What about an innocent baby? Now, the action's the same. But who it is against makes it worse in some cases. And in our case, sin is against the Lord of Lords. And it was that realization that brought David to his very knees. Psalm 51, as David would say, My sin is ever before me against thee and thee only. Have I sinned and done this awful deed? Sin is so dark. It is a stain that I cannot deal with. Isaiah 1 and verse 18 speaks of sin being like scarlet and crimson. Now, I want to give you a challenge. Take any garment that is red, and I want to challenge you to dye it white. Really, sin does not have a color. It does not have a color of red or green or blue or gray or black. In fact, in the original Hebrew, uh, in fact, we have a Jewish girl was a member of the church uh, there in uh, at Northwest, uh, where I worship, and uh, she tells me that the the Hebrew word is pronounced shanim, s h a n i m, and it means double dyed or double dipped. In ancient times, for color to be uh, indelible, then they would have to be double-dipped or double-dyed. Well, I was sin-stained, double-dyed. There is nothing I can do that would take away that sin. And so there is the song, What can wash away my sin? And the answer is nothing but the blood of 
Jesus. So, when the soldiers pierced the side of Jesus, there came out blood and water, so says John 19, 32 through 34. The only way that I can take care of the awfulness of my sin is with the blood of Jesus. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission, Hebrews 9, 22. And the only way that I can have that applied is to be baptized into the death of Jesus where he shed his blood. And so Romans 6 verse 3 says that we're baptized into his death. And then we're raised in newness of life. Acts 2.38 says that that is, baptism is for the remission or the forgiveness of that sin. And so here we find what this song, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind, speaks of the importance of my eternal soul. Secondly, the awfulness of my sin. But thirdly, the immense love of God. How in the world can I get my mind around the incredible and magnificent love of God? I read someplace that the cross was in the mind of God before the wood was on Calvary. And that is true. Jesus is, was as well as crucified from eternity. Revelation uh, 13 and verse 8. And so, there's a passage of Scripture that, if we know any Scripture at all, it's John 3.16, and it's generally in the King James translation. I want you to think about that passage, instead of just running through it. It says, for God, the greatest one or being, so, the greatest intensity, loved the greatest emotion, that He gave the greatest a gift, it would be His Son, That whosoever, the greatest invitation, believes should not perish the greatest destruction, but have everlasting life, the greatest possession. It's all there in John 3 and verse 16. Back that up with John 15, 13, uh, that says, uh, where Jesus says, Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friend. And so, I am the object of a divine love. Yes, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. There's a song in your songbook, and I'd like for you to look at that. Number 133. The love of God expresses this thought so much more eloquently than I can. Those of you who are opening that up will notice, please, at the very bottom, that this song is over a hundred years old. This song was written, this says, 1917, and then put to music. I have gleaned just a few words from that that I think just to speak so much, so much, that I want us to look at. As it says, the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry nor could the scroll contain the whole 
so stretched from sky to sky. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels. So, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind, speaks of the importance of my soul, the awfulness of my sin, the immensity of God's love, and lastly, the blessings of forgiveness. And there's another song in the songbook, that uh, song that we're very familiar with, Love Lifted Me, and it says so much. As it says, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry from the waters lifted me. Now safe am I. Love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. I'd like for us to go now to Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man some would uh, dare to even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we're familiar with that song, he paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. Now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace, all day long. He paid the debt that I could never pay. The song again says, I'm not on an ego trip. I'm nothing on my own. I make mistakes, often slip, just common flesh and bones. But someday I'll prove just what I say. I'm of the special kind. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. A look of love was on his face, the thorn on his head. The blood was on his scarlet robe and stained a crimson red. Though his eyes were on the crowd that day, he looked ahead in time. And he was on the cross. I was on his mind. He knew me, yet he loved me. He whose glory makes the heaven shine. So unworthy of such mercy. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. The last passage is Romans 2, beginning with verse 4. Or do you think lightly of the riches and kindness of his forbearance and patience and knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. To those who by perseverance in, in doing good seek for glory and honor, immortality and eternal life. But to those who selfishly ambi- are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, 
but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. There will be retribution and distress for every soul of man who does evil, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to every man who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Now, if the thoughts that I have presented today do not move you, I don't know of anything that will move you. Because you see, you was on his mind too. When he was on the cross, you was on his mind. And so I'm going to offer the invitation and say that if you have never surrendered to the Lord, do you remember what George Bailey said? If you live as though Jesus never lived, you will die as though Jesus never died. If you need to obey the gospel, to confess the name of Christ, and to be immersed into Christ for the remission of your sins, please do not put it off. I urge you to respond to this invitation. All together we stand and sing.